In the last chapter. Maybe that 99 World Cup team, you know, went a bit too hard as far as, you know, the, the, the drinking and they weren't allowed to relax. And when you're not playing well and you're not relaxed, uh, it's not a good combination. Yeah, I remember him him uh, saying that the Australia's fielding was atrocious and uh, that was mainly, I reckon, designed to send an electric current through the team. Probably the best thing that happened was that we got to a situation where we couldn't lose another game. We lost two of our first three and we were on wood. I'm quite convinced, had Steve Ward not dropped the booze ban, Australia wouldn't won the World Cup. Australia's thumping of Bangladesh gave Steve Waugh's side its first slice of momentum for the tournament, but there was still a mountain to climb if they were going to lift the trophy, six games in a row to be precise. And standing in their way were the West Indies, a fading superpower who still possessed some world-class talent. In Brian Lara, they had arguably the finest batsman in the world, capable of dismantling any attack. Not that Glenn McGrath was worried. In a newspaper column before the game, the Aussie fast bowler predicted he would take five wickets. Lara would, of course, be one of them. Oh, what a good catch. That's uh, very, very well taken. He's got wonderful hands. Australia needed this very, very desperately. Oh, big appeal there for him. has got him. Glenn McGrath struck for the second time. That's a big wicket. Glenn McGrath's on target today. Bold him. That's the big blow. Brian Lara, bowled by Glenn McGrath, and aren't the Australians happy? They feel now that they've got this match by the scruff of the neck. Gone like before, finger raised once more. McGrath hasn't taken long to strike again. That's his fourth wicket. Toys bowled him. Yes, he's done it. Spot on target. Glenn McGrath has got five wickets. That's the third time he's done that in one day internationals. And he's finished off the West Indians. We normally got Lara, we got Lara quite a bit, even in test cricket, so I remember it being very good bowling conditions at Old Trafford that, that particular game, so uh, I think there was a bit of rain around. And it, I mean, that, that World Cup, actually, the ball sort of dominated a lot of the games, because um, the, the ball we were using was a was it a Duke or a Reader, I can't remember, but it really it swung. Jeez, yeah, and, yeah they, it swung a lot, and yeah. it, there was a bit, a bit in the tracks as well. Lara's dismissal for nine triggered a West Indies collapse with McGrath, true to his prediction, bagging five wickets as the West Indies limped to 110. But if the Aussies thought they were in for an incident-free run chase, they were mistaken. Needing 111 to win, the final 19 runs came from 13 overs, with Steve Waugh and Michael Bevan both finishing with strike rates in the 20s. But there was a tactical reason behind the go-slow approach, not that the crowd, who booed every defensive shot, were aware. Australians want to take two through. I really do have that feeling. Oh, they certainly want to do that, take two points into the Super Sixes. And I think you're quite right, that's what they're doing here. They're going to stretch this as long as they can. The rain's lifted, it's reasonably fine. 20 of overs left. Well, um, there's a little bit of booing going on here, but I really don't think they know what's happening. They don't understand that this is working for the Australians in the next round. The longer they take, the more chance the West Indies have of going through, the tougher it is for New Zealand. That's it. 
no ball called and uh, that's the end of proceedings so Australia have um, won this match it's been uh, a pretty slow drawn-out match but the truth of the matter is that uh, at the end of the day the Australians have managed to win this quite comfortably the best thing that could be said about that game was how fortunate it was that it was played before the era of social media because every one of those overs would have caused a social media storm which would have become a torrent and then a tsunami <laughs> like it, it was at the time it was curiously odd and a bit distasteful I mean we, we're sort of thinking that's not within the spirit of the game but then Steve Ricks and the New Zealand coach said hey I'd have done the same and, and that meant you know it just so in other words the Australians snuck out of it but um, it, it didn't look great not not in a World Cup to see a team deliberately going slowly the tactic failed the West Indies were knocked out while New Zealand progressed to the Super 6 stage along with the Australians but the dance with the devil drew plenty of criticism afterwards the Guardian in the UK labelled it dreadful and shameful. Call it immorality if you like or call it professionalism, but don't call it cricket, the paper postured. Adam Gilchrist and Brennan Julian, however, saw it differently. We had to do that because as this format and structure of the tournament was then, this is, you sort of moved out of your initial group stage into, if you got through, you went into what's called the Super 6 stage and, and you carried through points from from teams that you played against, if you garnered points in the first round, you carried those points through if that team got through as well. So New Zealand um, beat you? Yeah, New Zealand beat us, so they were gonna, if they got through, they were gonna have the two points from that game, we wouldn't, but, but also, we, so we were trying to win the game, but also manage the net run rate in a, almost a negative effect, if you like, trying to, trying to yeah. let, the, let the West Indies net run rate come up get them through to the next round and eliminate New Zealand, if that all makes sense. It was very complex, complicated. It didn't complicated. work, did it? it didn't work. We, we chased 110 and scored them in 40 overs. It took forever. Stephen was really, you know, across the facts and the figures and what we needed to do. Um, and I think that's what made it, uh, made it, I think, a successful plan because we sort of tried to do what we needed to do to win the game and win it in a certain way. You know, we'd done all the stats and numbers. We'd just scraped through. Um, you know, we we're pretty confident we we're going to win that game. And we felt what was the easiest path to get through um, in, into the next stage. Yeah, we were doing whatever we could to, to get through, first and foremost. But when we bowled them out, you know, we bowled them out for 110. So we'd earn ourselves the right to be able to just play how we want. Um, I didn't think it was unsporting at all. We got hammered a bit about it, but that got forgotten pretty quickly. But we were just trying to manipulate the the scenario and the tournament rules, clearly within the tournament rules, to, to best of our advantage. Whether it was in the spirit of the game or not, the result meant Australia continued their momentum as they headed into the first Super 6 clash with India at the Oval. The Indian side was packed with superstars like Sachin Tendulkar, Rahul Dravid, Surav Ganguly and Mohamed Azharuddin. Fortunately, Australia's stuttering batting lineup at last clicked into gear with the War Brothers, Mark and Steve, posting half-centuries as the side racked up an imposing total of six for 282. Well, that's an excellent shot. Mark Bors looking in ominous form. Whip there for Mark War. Well, that's terrific. Six. Way back. As somebody said before this game started that uh, Mark War was due for runs. 50 for Mark War. 
that's cool. That's contempt for the fifth bowler. Just stood there and delivered Mark Waugh, and that's what you've got to do. You're going to win a World Cup. Son has gone over mid-off. That'll be four more. This is beautiful batting. Highest score by an Australian in this World Cup so far. Mark Waugh winning from the front. That's well played. Certainly was too short from the Serena. Beautifully played. Steve Waugh knowing that uh, there's no one to slip. He's guided down to that third band boundary using all the pace on the ball. So it's six for 282. But if Mark Waugh found form, the same couldn't be said for fellow opener Adam Gilchrist. Gilchrist entered the tournament as Australia's X-Factor, capable of tearing attacks apart with his brutal stroke play. In the preceding 18 months, he had belted no less than five ODI centuries, including a brutal 154 against Sri Lanka to announce himself on the world stage. But the swashbuckling opener struggled through the early stages as the self-doubt began to creep into his game. I hardly fired a shot. Uh, I think I got... Did I get 50 or 40 or 60 or something against Bangladesh in that, yeah. you know, trying to chase down? I got a few runs anyway out of the middle, but that was about it. Um, now, I, as I say, against Scotland, I realised, gee, this is going to be a challenging tournament. And, and it was a tournament where ball dominated bat more often than not. Um, you know, a few exceptions to that. But, uh, but yeah, I was a um, bit, bit low on confidence. And, um, yeah, it, it was a challenge. And it wasn't only Gilchrist's form and confidence that were taking a hit. While Glenn McGrath and Damien Fleming routed India for 205 to seal victory, champion leg spinner Shane Warne struggled again. India's star-studded lineup went on the attack, hammering Warne to all parts of the oval to leave him with the unflattering figures of no wicket for 49 from just six overs. That's four. He's got onto that one and placed it very well. Great shot. That's Maniero back into the crowd. That's straight down the ground and clattering into the crowd. Second six for Robin Singh off the bowling of Shane Warne. I wonder if he caught it. Oh, that's beautiful hit again. That's going to clear the ropes for the third time. He does time these well. And Judeja, not to be outdone, eases that one over extra cover for six more. Look, I think Warney had, you know, had his issues in, in ways of probably stemming, as I was saying, from the West Indies. He probably had a lot going through uh, his mind as well. Um, he probably felt that um, he wasn't being loved in terms of um, maybe the team and people weren't on his side. And he's very much a player where, you know, like we, we all are in that type of environment, you want to feel part of it, you want to feel engaged, you want, you want your support of everyone in the team. And, you know, I think that was a, I think that was a tough time for Warney, uh, you know, leading into the World Cup and certainly the first couple of weeks. Next up for the Aussies was a potential banana peel in the Zimbabweans. Andy Flower and Heath Streak were two of the best players in the world, while left-handed batsman Neil Johnson was dangerous in the middle order. Mark Waugh's 110 set the Aussies up for a big total, but Johnson's 132 in reply made for some nervous moments in the Aussie camp. Despite the early loss of Adam Gilchrist... Australia had no problems keeping the scoreboard ticking over merrily in a match they had to win. Ricky Ponting and Mark Waugh taking full toll of the Zimbabwe bowlers, while Henry Alonga had Ponting playing on. The fireworks continued when the Waugh twins came together, the six from elder brother Steve, before Guy Whittle came back into the attack and put the brakes on, bowling the Australian captain. 
but his brother continued his rich vein of form and reached three figures off 115 balls. He's the first player to hit four World Cup centuries, leaving Zimbabwe a daunting 304 to win. They made a good start with Grant Flower driving Glenn McGrath through the covers. And although he was trapped by one that kept low by McGrath, the runs continued to flow from the bat of Neil Johnson. He hit four fours in a single over of the bowling of Shane Warne. And then the introduction of Paul Rifle swung the match back the Aussies' way. And while there was still time for Johnson to complete a fine unbeaten hundred, in the end it turned out to be Australia's day. But interestingly, both sides still have a great chance of qualifying for the semi-finals of the World Cup. Australia was now on a roll, but all roads were leading to a powerhouse South African side held up as the pinnacle of professionalism. Win, and Australia would take on the Proteas again in a World Cup semi-final. Lose, and that would be it. Zimbabwe would take their place. But despite not yet hitting their straps, Adam Dale said the Australians were quietly confident. Uh, they were... Um the team to beat and certainly leading into the tournament they were I mean, they were talking about you know headphones and speakers in their helmets and all sorts of things we were just I remember we were trying to get footage and we couldn't you know it was just a different scenario um, but within the Aussie camp there was never a lack of confidence about beating you know not being able to play well against South Africa uh, the group had had good form um We'd beaten them a couple of years before that in South Africa in a, in a one-day tournament. We'd beaten them in Australia. There was always, a, I always felt a calmness and a, uh, a real confidence from our senior leaders, War, Warren McGrath, that we always had 51% of the shares when it came to a battle with South Africa. And the South Africans themselves had reason to be confident. Their side was packed with match winners from top to bottom. In Herschel Gibbs, they boasted one of the finest batsmen in world cricket. And he didn't disappoint when the Proteas won the toss and chose to bat first. Oh, that's an excellent shot. Pick that up very quickly. Pick up the length. Oh, good shot. Goes all the way. That's the second time from him. He's been picked up first by Kirst and now by Gibbs. Oh, cracking shot. Poor delivery. Put away. Well, that's well played. Chipped away nicely on the onside. Bouncing away to the fence for four. Tom Moody continuing, and that one driven through the offside as well. He's hit that one on the up, and it's uh, racing away to the backward point boundary. Oh, great shot. Wonderful cover drive by Gibbs all the way along the ground, and that too was really struck beautifully. And if Gibbs was pure class, a man nicknamed Zulu was brute force. His name? Lance Klusner. Yeah, he, he was decimating bowling attacks, which at that time, 20 years ago, to close out innings like that, to leave all that bulk of the run scoring right at the end was, was a bit strange, a bit unique, and not many had the power in the game that, to do it like he was and doing it with regular monotony. So uh, he was a danger man, and he, he, he stated that case at the end of that, um, that, that uh, first innings at, at Headingley. Gibbs and Klusner propelled South Africa to 271 from 50 overs. All Australia's bowlers came in for punishment, except for one man. That's bowling. That's good, clever bowling. We had a feeling that Daryl Cullen was after him. Well, Shane Warne has got the better of him. And that's an important wicket at an important time for Australia. Ah! That's very, very close. He's gone. And two wickets for Shane Warne. That's a big one. He's back, isn't he, this man? You cannot write Shane Warne off. 
he was still wrestling with everything in his mind, um, but sort of felt like the, the deeper we went in the tournament, you knew that he was going to come to the fore. He's just, you know, he's a big stage performer. And uh, I think against South Africa in the last of the Super Six yep. games up at Headingley, I don't know what his figures were at the end of that, but um, but I, I do remember thinking he bowled, he just started to look like he was getting a bit of that zip and a bit of the drift and a bit of the, the old signature parts of Shane Warne's makeup yeah. as a bowler that, that made him so great. And, um, you know, that was ominous. Australia's daunting run chase started disastrously. Australia quickly slumped to 3 for 48 and outwalked Australia's man for a crisis. Steve Waugh was used to digging his side out of holes. This time, however, his future as captain of the Australian side was at stake. Steve Waugh taking guard. How worthy two wickets in the first spell. The game uh, at uh, Headingley, for me, that was the finest innings of Steve Waugh's career. Yeah. Uh, you had to be there to sense the leaden skies, you know, the Pollocks, the Donalds, prowling like, like predators. Australia, three early wickets. I can clearly remember at one point writing on my pad, Australia needs 170 of 160 balls and turning to my colleague Andrew Ramsey and say, mate, it's over. What are you going to do given Australia will be eliminated now? And I remember saying to Rams, I'm going to go to to London and see the Phantom and Churchill's war rooms. <laughs> and we were discussing what we were going to do because it was the, 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 the players' dressing room was right near the press box. And I remember Darren Lehman was in quite a... Oh, right throughout the, the the early collapse and the tension, he was smiling, and and it was almost like a sort of oh, I think we might be cooked today. Uh, you know, mm. he was almost resigned to it. War had other ideas. Well, that's an excellent shot. That breaks the shackles. Lance Klusner getting a bit of his own medicine there. Stephen War goes for it. Doesn't quite time it, but it goes all the way. So it's gone. That'll be six. Over it goes the head of Pollock. That's where he likes to hit him, Stephen Moore. This is a good little partnership. This has been a wonderful fight back. That's going, going, and Kuzner dives. He won't get it, will he? No, he doesn't. He's whacked that one away. This may go to the boundary. Yes, it'll be four. Beautiful shot. Don't pitch it up on leg stump to the War Brothers. Then, with 120 runs to win and the game in the balance, one of the most infamous moments in World Cup history took place. That's how oh, it's going. He's dropped it, I don't believe it. That's unbelievable. He was throwing it up. 
He thought he had it. It was a little lollipop. And the man who did so well with the bat has taken his eye off the ball, and the ball has just dribbled out of his fingers. He was about to throw it up. Well, this could change the course of this match, that's for sure. scored a century, his confidence was high, he was almost flippantly relaxed about it, and he dropped it. It really did get us into the, the World Cup final, you know, that drop catch. And we found ourselves in a bit of strife, didn't we, Australia, as, as you know, was typical on that tour. We didn't sort of really hit our guns, uh, you know, all our guns are blazing, um, probably until the last game of the, the, the World Cup, but... Um, uh, Stephen's performance there with the, the captaincy beside his name. Uh, yes, the famous uh, no catch from uh, Herschel Gibbs. The catch that wasn't a catch. You know, <laughs> celebrating before he should have been. He plays it away on the onside. Now, has he got it? And he's about to throw it up. And that's it. Could almost make a case for the fact that he'd probably caught that. Great knots. Great knots. The law says you must have control over the further disposal of the ball. If you're trying to throw it up, that's attempting to dispose of it. And uh, he's not got control of this. He should have done. He should have done. I've seen it the odd few times over 20, 30 years. There's no way Steve Waugh should still be there. What came next has entered cricket folklore. Not that Steve Waugh's own teammates can agree on what he exactly said to Gibbs. I think he's come out and said he didn't say you've just dropped the World Cup. I think it was more you've just cost your team the match, yeah. which is, nah, sounds good, doesn't it? Yeah, I think so. I think the story goes something like that, that you just dropped the World Cup. So, yeah, we'll, we'll go with it, yeah. <laughs> I don't think Stephen said that to him right there and then. Whether Stephen Moore um, did say what he did say to Herschel, you know, you've just dropped the World Cup. I'm not sure whether that was actually said or that's uh, folklore these days. It just... It haunted him for, for years. I think it still does. And and the jury's open of whether Steve Waugh actually did say, you've just dropped the World Cup, mate. But he said something similar, as much to get himself going as to harass Gibbs. Like that's, Steve loves picking a fight to get him going. And I felt that was what that was all about. The incredible drop catch from one of the game's finest fielders on the biggest stage stunned the cricket world, with the exception of Shane Warne. In a team meeting, I mean, Warney does say a lot of things that you don't take much notice of, but to be fair, he does throw a lot of, um, um, a lot of things out there, and he said, you know, just if Herschel Gibbs takes a catch, don't walk, because he, he, you know, he's very quick at throwing the ball up, so that's exactly what happened, so we'll give that green, give a green tick to Warney on that one, yeah, exactly right. The craziest thing about that is the night before in the team meeting where Warney said, if you hit the ball to the Herschel Gibbs and he catches it, don't leave your crease, just stay there for a bit. And we all thought, you are nuts, Warney. But, uh, mate, he was uh, Nostradamus. I, I remember definitely Shane Warne talking about it in the, um, in the team meeting before the night, saying, hold your ground if he catches you. Because he, he often does that, quickly flicks the ball up. And, you know, and Warney would often come up with sort of left field sort of things in team meetings which you could go, oh, well, that's a bit strange, but sometimes they hit the mark. So it was definitely a, a discussion about that. But I remember the group going, oh, yeah, no, no, good point, but yeah, let's move on quickly. But it just shows you what a smart man he is when it comes to on-field cricket stuff. Um, he knew exactly, and sure enough, Herschel missed the catch and 
Stephen went on to do what he did. War would go on to score 120 and lead Australia into a semi-final with two deliveries remaining. It was one of his finest moments as an Australian player in innings forged under incredible pressure. Well, that's it. That's a magnificent century. A century played when the pressure was really on. He is a fantastic cricketer. His second one-day international century and probably one that he will never forget if Australia win this match. One to win, three balls to go. And that's it. Australia have won a vital match which has ensured that they will go through to the semi-finals and what's more, they'll play South Africa again. Steve Waugh has played a magnificent innings and have a look at the celebration. That is a wonderful performance. A huge target they had to chase today. Well, you won't see many better games of cricket than the one you've just seen. Yeah, he just went on and produced uh, just one of those special knocks that you dream of, particularly as captain, you know, to lead the way and and keep Australia's uh, chances alive. I mean, at that point, we weren't a done deal to get into the, the, the semi-final stage. So, um, yeah, pretty important knock. Yeah, definitely. I think you're 120. Um, without that innings, you know, we lose the game, obviously. Stephen played beautifully under pressure there. When we're in a lot of trouble, he played well in the semi-final as well against South Africa. So I think Stephen made two ODI hundreds, and that was obviously his best one. Steve Waugh chiselled away for this epic century, which, given the pressure on him and the team, the calibre of the bowling, the match scenario, that to me it, it was the finest innings of his whole career. And I, to me, nothing comes close to it. Still one of the best that I've seen and witnessed just the significance of what was up for grabs, where we were in the match um, when he walked to the crease. That was a turning point because we won the game obviously and we felt that winning that game, that was probably nearly like winning a final for us. I mean for us to get out and beat um, South Africa there, who, who were the strongest, yeah. they, they were no doubt they were the best team in the World Cup right there and then. So for us to do that, um, that was big. And obviously the uh, closing it out the way he did, just uh, upping the ante and putting all the pressure back on South Africa after what looked like a, a winning position, so just yeah. great confidence. There was little time to celebrate, however. The Proteas were waiting again. In the next chapter. For some reason with South Africa, we always felt that put them under enough pressure, we could beat them in any situation. Oh, at that point I thought, this is not looking good, they're going to pretty much cruise to this total uh, and of course enter Shane Warne. It was just so dumb, I mean they just panicked and for whatever reason two senior guys just did not explain what they needed to do, I don't reckon they knew what to do, didn't even have anyone run out drinks or run out gloves or anything, anything could have happened there. South Africa were broken, I'm not sure that they've ever quite recovered from it and they never can recover from it until they win a World Cup because it haunts them, it's a thing everyone talks about. The Miracle of 99 is brought to you by Fox Cricket. Reporting and narration by senior journalist Tom Morris and produced by Brenton Cherry and Jonathan Bahume. For more content, visit foxsports.com.au.